May it please the court, counsel, Gary Van Cleve arguing for Avis Budget and Enterprise. I will refer to them collectively as the car rental companies in this argument. There are two questions before the court. The first is whether the mandatory disclosure rule requires that the petitioner and only the petitioner must provide the financial information specified in that statute, which is 278.05 subdivision 6. Here the county admitted that it had sufficient information, nothing was missing, but nevertheless moved forward and was granted dismissal of these tax petitions simply because some of the information was not provided by the petitioners, but by Metropolitan Airports Commission, the MAC, which is the public corporation that owns and operates the airport. The second issue is whether concession fees, substantial concession fees paid by the car rental companies to the MAC are rent that can be used to value the leased premises for property tax purposes. Um, if, if those payments are not rent, then the alleged non-disclosure issue becomes moot because the only information that the county complains was not received by the petitioners was the concession fee information, which was obtained from the MAC directly. If the court concludes that it is rent, that the concession fees are rent, or if the court concludes that on this record it cannot determine whether or not the concession fees should be considered rent for purposes of valuing the lease premises that are occupied by these car rental companies, then um, the court must still reverse these dismissals because all of the information was provided. And then the case should be remanded for trial on the substantive issue of what the proper valuation is of these lease premises at MS MSP International Airport. Um, can, you, can we go to the concessions issue? Uh, and I'm interested in your um, argument as to why. I mean, so it looks to me like um, your best argument is the parties call this concession. They don't call it rent. And I think we have to, I mean, I think that's a, an argument that the commissioner has to deal with. Uh, but then the argument that, that um, I think is probably your weakest argument is that we have said in some cases uh, percentage rent is in fact included. This, this concession is calculated based as a percentage of rent. What do we do about that? Uh, uh, Justice Anderson, here's what I think we do about that. The, um, there are three agreements here that govern the relationship between MAC and these car rental companies. You've got a supplemental lease agreement for Terminal 1, a supplemental lease agreement for Terminal 2, and then there's this third agreement, which is um, called a general terms and conditions lease agreement, but is in fact and in substance a concession agreement. The concession fees are consideration paid by these car rental companies for the privilege of operating their businesses at the international airport. And that is how we distinguish this. In a percentage rent situation, in a true percentage rent situation, 
the percentage rent is almost always identified as additional rent for the lease premises. We don't see that anywhere in, in these governing documents. What we see is a concession fee which is um, in an agreement that we think the whereas clauses clarify and assist us in understanding what that general terms and conditions agreement is for. And it says that the MAC and the concessionaire desire to enter into the agreement, the agreement being the general terms and conditions agreement, to develop and or operate auto rental concessions at the airport. Then there's a subsequent and separate whereas clause that acknowledges that the parties have entered into supplemental leases. And those leases are for the leased premises, which are specifically defined in the supplemental leases, and also it's a defined term in the concession agreement. Are there other business arrangements that we could point to that look like this one that, that's, that would support your argument that there's something to the legal doctrine here that we call a concession. Is there something else we can point to? Does, you know, the um, we have that Walmart situation where um, it's a it's a percentage rent, and we've said so. But what about this? Is there something else we can point to? Well, I mean, and I guess I, what I'm really asking is: is there some legal significance to the term concession that uh, maybe we need to be giving some thought to here that makes it different than a percentage rent? Yes, yes, Your Honor, and I. I would like to redirect the court back to a case that was given short shrift by the tax court, and that's that L.A. County case. And, and what I think is very instructive about the L.A. County case is that it recognizes that, that there are certain intangible rights. The consideration that is paid for those rights are these concession fees. There were, this was a virtually identical situation involving LAX and other uh, Los Angeles uh, metropolitan airports and the car rental companies out there challenged the method that the LA County Assessor was using to value their property interests. And what the court said in, um, in LA County is, is this. They, they, the court talked about uh, the basic principle um, for taxing a possessory interest. And it said, just as possessory interests are a species of taxable property. The possession or use which grounds them means and requires not just some benefit from the public property, but physical possession or use of it. And so um, where, where I think the tax court got bound up was seizing on this one phrase in the 40-page concession agreement that said that the concession fee was for the use of the facilities and access to the airport market. Well, the use of the facilities is not the same thing as the lease premises. The facilities refer to, logically, the entirety of the airport, which these car rental companies obviously and definitely have full access to. But how do you, for property tax purposes, tax that privilege or interest? Council, I thought the tax court said that Minnesota law is very different, and we don't tax just possessory interest, but tax as though it's a fee ownership. And here, uh, Avis is standing in the shoes of MAC, because MAC is a tax-exempt entity, 
And so whatever Avis is paying as though it were MAC, and if it were, if MAC weren't tax exempt, it would have to report these concession fees as revenue. So it seems to me that, that the, the tax court was correct in finding this to be uh, uh, disclosable under this statute. Well, whether or not it's disclosable and whether or not it should be considered in the, uh, let's, let's be clear that we haven't reached the issue in this case of what the proper way of valuing these properties should be. But this issue of whether or not the concession fees are rent is obviously quite critical to that determination because we're talking about a situation where Avis was... Well, let me, let me stop you right there because don't we have a broad disclosure rule and we want everything disclosed that could be uh, pertinent to valuation. And then on the merits, the party can say, no, no, that's all wrong. But if the county doesn't have that information, it can't consider the various methods of valuation. I agree, Justice Chudich, but in this case, the county did have the information, and the county admitted to the tax That's court. That's another and issue, and, and I'll have questions for the county on that, because um, it does seem like they had the, the relevant information. I wanted to ask you about that point. Um, the tax court seems sort of mystified about why MAC um, provides this information to the county, and I don't think there's anything in your agreements with um, the commission, Mac, um, that requires it. Um, I'm sort of, is there anything in the record? I, I see that it's a long, it seems to be a long-standing relationship where Mac is providing uh, the county with the relevant information, but can, is there any more light you can um, shed or the record sheds on why Mac does that? <clears throat> Unfortunately, no. Um, we do have the county uh, conceding that it annually secures information directly from the MAC. Now, um, uh, I don't know if you, this, you can divine anything from this comment, but the, um, the tax court asked the county at the motion to dismiss hearing, well, um, um, why did you ask the MAC for the leases uh, when they had been requested from the car rental companies in discovery, and, and the county's response was, well, because we thought we could get them faster from the MAC. So um, there is nothing in the agreements that obliges MAC to do it. It is, it is certainly the case, though, and I don't think the county would deny that, uh, as you've, as you've noticed, Justice Chudich, that there is, has been a long-standing information sharing arrangement between the MAC and, um, and the car rental companies. I wanted to ask you, if we, um, if we hold here that the commission um, can disclose the information and Avis can benefit by the commission's um, doing so in this case, how does that affect other third parties? Is that going to be you know, typically we have construed this statute very narrowly, even though there have been many harsh results. And so if we find in, in this case that uh, you can rely on the commissions, is, is how, how does that affect other, other cases? Um, 
Your Honor, I don't think it does affect other cases. I think that this is a uh, rather novel and unique set of facts. And I think it can be noted that MAC is a public corporation. It was created by the legislature. And um, the information went directly from MAC to the Hennepin County Assessor. So it's not like there was some kind of a routinized reporting requirement. The assessor asked, Mac gave. And so that is rather unique. You've got another you know, quasi-governmental body, if you will, that receives the information. And by the way, the county received the concession fee information from the car rental companies through discovery. And lo and behold, it was the same information. So the reliability of the information was not uh, something subject to question. In fact, the county was choosing to rely on its original assessments that it, that it made based on information it got from the MAC and to go to trial with those valuations rather than do independent and separate appraisals for trial in the tax court. Council, does, what rule of law are you proposing? Does the reliability of the information have something to do with the rule of law you're proposing? In other words, uh, no, Your Honor, because there are no cases that that say um, there are cases that say if the information is inaccurate or if the information is incomplete, you still got to give it up. That's a matter for the county to have to determine later, or it's going to be sorted out during the. Uh, discovery and trial process in tax court. Um, but, but what I am saying here is that the county did not have any doubts about the veracity of the information it was receiving directly from the MAC and had this um, a long-standing relationship where it obtained this information. So, so following up on Justice Chudich's question, let me give you a hypothetical. Okay. Uh, Farmer uh, Ole owns 80 acres and uh, is contesting his taxes. And he files his disclosure saying this is not income producing property. I don't get any income. And separately, the assessor learns, either because the assessor is poking around or um, th through, the, through Farmer Sven, Farmer Sven tells the assessor, or sends an email to the assessor, I'm, I'm renting all these property and I'm paying $5,000 a month, which is clearly income. So can Farmer Ole get the benefit of Farmer Sven's disclosure to the county, even though Farmer Ole didn't disclose the income? No, Your Honor. Okay, how did, so... Unclean what, what hands. Is, well, but we're talking about... He lied statute. to the tax authority. Yeah, but we're just talking about a statute here, whether there's sufficient disclosure or not. Right. So why, I mean, in a sense, my hypothetical has a no harm, no foul business to it, and that, that seems to be your argument. They, the county had the information anyway. So what's the rule of law that distinguishes your case from Ole and Sven? The rule of law is based upon the unique facts of this case. An unprecedented case, there's never been a fact pattern before the court like this, and what we're talking about is a quasi-governmental agency that has an information sharing relationship with the tax authority Okay, so that based on the unique facts, what should the syllabus of our opinion look like? What should be the rule of law that we announce? Well, the syllabus should state something on the order of where the information has been fully disclosed before the deadline. And again, I think it's an important fact that the county has said that 
the MAC information and the tax petitioner's information was sufficient and complete for it to do the assessments here and come up with a valuation that it was prepared to go to tax court. It's already a pretty um, long syllabus. Tell, tell me okay. what the rule of law is. Well, the rule of law is that if there is another governmental agency that possesses the information and the taxing authority is going directly to that agency and obtaining that information on a regularized basis, that that satisfies the disclosure requirement in, in combination with, with the petitioner's disclosures. Pardon me? Well, Your Honor, then we have to go into some of the other cases that where, where this court has said that that doesn't, that doesn't matter. That, that if the information is incomplete or inaccurate, I mean, that was one of the arguments I believe Walmart made in the recent decision by this court, that, well, you know, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, know, whether, we didn't know whether or not it was accurate. The, the disclosure requirement, according to this court, is that it must be produced uh, regardless of accuracy or completeness. But here we have no question about the reliability of this information. It is held by this quasi-governmental entity and is provided routinely to the tax assessor. So can I, um, just to come back to one of Justice Tudich's earlier questions a little bit, just if, if MAC was not tax exempt, so they're the people actually being where the property tax is being imposed, would this information, these concession fees, be income that they would have to disclose? I think we're kind of begging the question of what ultimately the tax court has yet to well, but, address and rule on. Well, we may be begging the ultimate decision, right. but with this broad rule of the information that has to be provided that doesn't necessarily even have to be relevant, you know, there's kind of this broad relevancy requirement. It seems to me if Walmart is the taxable entity, or Walmart, excuse me, if MAC is the taxable entity in this case, like Walmart, you know, assume Walmart is who we're taxing, they would con disclose the concession fee. Right? I don't disagree with that. Okay. They would disclose it. Whether or not it's proper for that to be used to value the real property interest is a whole separate Is a hugely question. other question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, and I'm, then okay. that, yes, so that, I appreciate that. Thank okay. you. Council, um, when we read statutes, we look at the whole statute, even before we determine whether the statute is ambiguous or not. And I, th I think your brief is correct that 6A doesn't really say who has to provide the information and maybe it infers it, that it's mm -hmm. the petitioner. But what about 6B and 6C, subdivision 6B and 6C? Doesn't that pretty clearly say that when they're talking about providing information, it is the petitioner who needs to provide the information? Well, ultimately, it is at the petitioner's peril if the information isn't provided. And so what we're talking about in B are essentially affirmative defenses. If, if, the, if the information, if the tax petitioner is saying, well, this information wasn't available to me, or the tax petitioner pleads ignorance, then there is a safe harbor where, where the tax petitioner has the ability to produce that information within 30 days. And yes, that onus is on the tax petitioner at that point because the tax petitioner is facing the prospect of the dismissal at that point. And so I don't think that reading that into, into Clause 1 is, is 
appropriate, however, if the, if the legislature intended that the petitioner must provide the information, it could have very simply stated and did not state the petitioner must provide the information. How about 6C? That clearly is calling for the petitioner to provide the requested information. Oh, the leases. Yeah. Okay, and that's, um, that's after the fact. I mean, we've got the issue joined. We're in, we're in tax court, and if the condemning authority, excuse me, the condemning authority, um, if, if the assessor at that, yeah, it's, that's really my uh, uh, sweet spot, but uh, that, that's not the issue today. Um, if, if the assessor asks for the leases, um, the petitioner has to provide the leases. I don't see that so what, as what relating in any way to subdivision A, to so subparagraph A. The assessor asks for the leases, and let's say Mac provides the leases. Which actually happened here. Yes, I know. Yeah. So would that be sufficient or not under 6C? Well, I think because the statute says specifically that the petitioner provide them, the petitioner better provide them. The petitioner has to provide them. Can I come back to Justice Lillehug's earlier Ole and Sven and say that Ole didn't lie, but he just neglected to turn over the rental agreement? Is there anything in our case law today that would, but it was that information was provided by Sven? Is there anything in our case law today that would limit, that would require uh, the case to be dismissed because Sven provided the information instead of Ole? I mean, do we have case law that says do we have case law that addresses this issue at all yet? We call this an issue of first impression because I don't think that this particular aspect of the mandatory disclosure rule has been, has been explored before. So the first impression is not that it's a quasi-governmental entity, but the broader issue is a first impression of kind of whether you, who has to provide the information. Yeah, there are, you know, as, as I stated that, um, I, I am thinking about cases or situations, well, I guess what I'm thinking about is the tax court's ruling in this case, where the tax court suggested that if um, the producing party were an agent or representative for the tax petitioner, then that the, the tax court suggested that that would be acceptable, or that's that it might based, be acceptable. But that's not based on our precedent. That's no, I think yeah. that's that's. So this is, from say. your perspective, this is the broad issue is truly an issue of first impression. That's right, and I do think that this issue can be recognized based on the unique facts in this case with this quasi-governmental entity and this regularized information sharing that has gone back and forth between the two parties. So, counsel, my understanding is your client actually didn't know the MAC was providing all this information. You got it by data practices. Let's change the facts of the case. Let's assume your client knew that data sharing was going on. Was, would its disclosure be sufficient if it just said, I'm not providing you this information because you've already got it? Would that be a sufficient disclosure? I don't know that I would advise the client to take that position, um, given the, the case law uh, and the precedent in this state. But I do think that... Um, It, I mean, if uh, your rule of law is no harm, no foul, then that should be okay, shouldn't it? 
there's information provided by a reliable quasi-government entity, if that's the rule of law. It should be. It should be. And it, I don't know, I think it's a little bit flipped to say no harm, no foul. I, again, we're talking about a situation where we've got the county attesting to the reliability of the information and to the regularity with which it receives it. And I, I do have concerns about this being used as a tripwire and elevating form over substance. When you look at the timeline in this case and consider that we had um, a scheduling order that issued in April of 2018 saying we're going to have trial in a year, April 8th, 2019. And then in December, a joint statement was issued where the county said it was going to defend its original valuation and was not going to submit an additional appraisal. It was going to rely on the information it had in the valuations. And it also said it wasn't going to bring any dispositive motions. And then on the 27th of December, uh, a couple weeks later, it moved to dismiss three months before trial. I, I want to assure you I wasn't trying to be flip about your client's claim. I was just using a colloquial term. I understand um, And that. trying to identify what the rule of law is that you're proposing. Can I, can I just ask, and you don't have to answer now, but maybe when you come back on rebuttal, what the, if there's, um, like, issues in the future not related to this case, if we equate concession fee with the term rent, you know, is that going to screw up other things in the other areas of law in the future to the extent you can think about I think that? it will, okay. Justice Teeson. And I think your time is done, but if, 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 if you could address that on a rebuttal, that would be great. Sorry, Chief, not to take your job. <laughs> That's all right. We'll hear from you on rebuttal. Mr. Van Cleve, you have 10 okay. minutes. Um, Ms. Brueggemann. Good morning, Justices of the Supreme Court and Council. My name is Sarah Brueggemann and I represent Hennepin County. The case before you today is a procedural question of whether the tax petitioners provided information sufficient to comply with the mandatory disclosure rule. This rule requires dismissal of a tax petitioner if, of a tax petition if the taxpayer does not provide all of the statutorily required information. The tax court here. Council, I have a question. Yes. Um, as it relates, and maybe I, maybe I should be asking um, the other party, but I'm going to ask you. So the challenging party here is the car rental companies, correct? That's correct. Okay. So if if we are right, if we end up, let's say we agree that that they re, that the county had the information through the Metro Airport Commission, and therefore that satisfies. The requirement. What impact is that going to have on future cases? Because to me, that seems we've got a car rental company that is the one who's um, objecting or wanting a hearing on the on the tax assessment, and yet they're not the ones who provide the information. So, if we say that because Mac has been doing that, that that's okay. What are the implications in the future? Well, I'd like to say that all of the businesses that all businesses that operate at the airport, including the airlines, the restaurants the car rental companies, they're all assessed personal property tax, and how that information is transmitted is the MAC sends one spreadsheet with the various, you know, subdivisions to the county with all of the information in it regarding all of the revenues that are received. So essentially, if, and essentially, if you were to say that that satisfies the mandatory disclosure rules, it, it wouldn't, there, there wouldn't necessarily be all of the information because there would still need to be expenses to the property and various other information, but if that were to satisfy 
the, the disclosures for all of the revenues to the property, then no businesses that operate at the airport who would petition would have to, would have to provide that information. So here, I'm puzzled by what is and is not in the record. Does the record explain to us what the arrangement is between MAC and the county assessor's office as to why that information is being furnished? And is there a memorandum of understanding? Is it by statute? What's going on there? I think it's an informal relationship, and the county has these relationships with various governmental entities because this is a personal property tax case, and this is a common type of tax that's assessed when you have a business that's doing that's leasing governmental property. And obviously the county tries to assess personal property tax on all businesses that are operating on all governmental property. So one way that the, the assessor knows what businesses are operating is that it exchanges information with its various partners, cities, the, the MAC, various other locations. And this is one way that we use to make sure that we have all the information and all of the businesses at the airport are fairly assessed, and I believe it's just an informal relationship that allows that information gathering and exchange. So let me ask you the flip side of the question I asked opposing counsel, and that is the parties here say this is a concession fee. Um, the circumstances here are clearly unique. Um, why shouldn't we rely on that characterization, at least for purposes of the mandatory disclosure statute? I understand there's this big argument about what we're going to do with that information eventually, but it's a concession fee. It's not rent. Well, first of all, I, would, I think thank you for asking that question. Minnesota law um, taxes the lease and the mere use of, per, of property, and that creates a personal property tax liability. Minnesota statute 27202 subdivision 2 says that property that's leased, loaned, or otherwise made available and used is assessed personal property tax. And so that means that whether or not there's a concession or privilege or a right to use or whether or not there's a leasehold agreement that's created, there is a personal property tax liability that occurs due to the use of the exempt property. And that's because the purpose of this law is a broad, it's a, it's a broad equalization so that business, for-profit businesses that are operating and benefiting from their presence on governmental property aren't benefiting from the underlying tax exemption that's given to the governmental entity for the benefit of the public. So what I would say is regardless of, if you look at the actual agreement in this case, the concession fee that's being paid is for the use of the facilities. That under Minnesota law, that mere use would be sufficient to create a personal property tax liability and would require the disclosure of it, oh, just the disclosure of the fee. My, the problem I have with you, that, that's a, a fascinating legal argument uh, in some detail here, but what we're really talking about is this disclosure requirement. The statute lists all the things that you're supposed to disclose. It's phrased in terms of rent. Sophisticated lawyers, and I'd be willing to bet there were sophisticated lawyers up and down the uh, page here when they drafted these documents, decided to call this thing a concession fee. Um, for disclosure purposes, um, I'm, not sure, I, I'm not sure you've answered my question. Why is this not uh, something other than rent? If you look at the agreement, and the, you have to look instead of the terms that the parties are using, the characterization of what the actual fees are paying for. So for instance, and I, and I hope I'm answering your question. So if you have an agreement and you- It's possible the question isn't very clear. <laughs> well, so do the you, best you can with what you've right. got here. So if you had an agreement and you had one fee and it was paid as rent, and then another that was termed a concession fee, if both of them are for the use and operation of the underlying or the, the 
the presence on the underlying real estate, both of them should be considered income to the real estate because that's what we're really looking at. As a matter of policy, I think your argument has merit, but that's not what the legislature told us. They didn't, I mean, they, they phrased this in terms of rent. Um, so I, I guess it's a plain language question that I'm asking. Well, I think this court has said that it's that although rent is income to the property, that it's not, we don't limit income to the property to simply rent. Instead, it's merely income to the property that needs to be disclosed. So that could con would concern things other than rent, but certainly it would include rent. So let's say that in the lease, there's a provision that Enterprise may bill itself as the official rental car company of the Metropolitan Airport and is paying a fee for that, would that be considered rent? If it doesn't have a relationship to the underlying real estate, and I believe under the hypothetical, there isn't a relationship to the underlying real estate that's being taxed. It's part, part of the lease. Well, there are fees that are under the, under the lease that aren't, aren't included in the, the county's assessment because they're not related to the underlying real estate and aren't considered and wouldn't be considered rent. I believe some of them are some consortium fees and the like. So it wouldn't be, it, it isn't simply, and in, in the fact of this matter in this particular case is this concession fee is per, for the use of the facilities. It isn't for something that's unrelated to the underlying real estate or that's separate from the underlying real estate. So let me, let me now jump to the other issue and ask you about uh, subdivision six. Um, 6A is a little vague in terms of who needs to produce the information. 6B and 6C, to my mind, are not at all vague. They talk about the petitioner. Now, I asked Mr. Van Cleve, doesn't that suggest that 6A is talking about the petitioner too? But now I'm going to ask you the opposite question. Since the petitioner is called out in 6B and 6C, then doesn't that suggest that when the legislature wants to put the burden on the petitioner, and specifically the petitioner, it knows how to do so, and it didn't do so in 6A? No, I don't think that's right, because I think underlying this, and I think, I think if you read all of the statutes together, it ref refers specifically to the petitioner. It certainly infers in subdivision A that the petitioner is the one that's supposed to provide the information, and I think the reason for this is because that when the petitioner provides this information, the petitioner is vouching for the reliability of this information. And that reliability isn't being vouched for when the information is being provided by a third party. So when you have a third party that provides the information, and you can see kind of the consequence here, which is that the tax petitioner is is arguing both that we received that the county received information from the MAC that indicated the concession fee was rent and also that that information was incorrect and there was no duty that the petitioner had to, to correct that information. So, But, I, but um, I, I was thinking that uh, even if a third party, if it, whether it's the MAC or uh, Sven, I guess it was, or Oli, I can't remember which one, but um, I, I don't think that lets the petitioner off the hook for having, like if the MAC doesn't submit everything that's necessary, the petitioner is the one that's going to have it, its case dismissed, or if the information ultimately isn't, isn't correct, it's the petitioner who's going to lose the case. So I don't see a big in, uh, incentive for, um, for people like the car rental agencies to allow others to submit this information. I, I understand what you are saying, and I think you're correct that petitioners uh, with 
knowledgeable attorneys would still have an incentive to provide this information. But yeah, you are correct. But what the petitioner is arguing in this case, and if frankly, if the county had been able to rely on the disclosures by the MAC, the county would have, that would have been sufficient because the MAC gave the county information that indicated that the concession fee was rent. That was the, the line item that was provided to the county. And what's happening though is, and this is how the, the, the county is prejudiced by this, is that the petitioner is now arguing and saying that that information isn't reliable. The concession fee, in fact, isn't rent, and the county can't rely on that information because it's provided by a third party. And so therefore, even though the mandatory disclosure rule doesn't essentially require the petitioner to provide accurate information to the county, and the county can't rely on that information that's been received by a third party. What also strikes me here is there is a dispute about whether the concession fee is something that should be paid or not. And to me, that kind of seems like something that goes to the merits. Um, you know, shouldn't we get to the merits on this? If, if the county, there was a hearing in front of the tax court, and I, I think you were the counsel that said if the max disclosure and Avis's disclosure were considered together, you had, the county had everything it needed to start that initial valuation process. So I, I just don't know what about the statute requires us to read it so harshly when the county gets information from another governmental agency that gives it everything it needs to do to do its job. And I agree with you, ex except for the fact that the county in this case received information from the MAC that indicated that this concession fee was rent. And there was no notice to the county that the petitioner believed anything different. Then, and, and so during, after the purpose of the mandatory disclosure rule is to provide an adequate, speedy, and simple mechanism for the tax petitioner to, dis, or for the county to dispose of tax petitions. And that purpose isn't being served when the county receives information that it believes is reliable, but then subsequently learns that the actual issue, the actual merits and the primary issue in the case is whether or not those disclosures can actually be relied upon. Did the court, did any court make a decision on whether you could rely on the, uh, rely on the information the, from the MAC? The tax court did not make a decision on that. Instead, what the tax court determined is that because the tax petitioners hadn't made this particular disclosure and because of the mandatory disclosure rule requires the petitioners to make the disclosures that the case should be dismissed. So, and was the question of reliability the reason you brought the motion to dismiss when they started to challenge the reliability? Was that why you waited to bring the motion to dismiss because you didn't know that before? Yes. And is the argument over reliability that it's not reliable information or that it's not the kind of information that should be relied upon in assessing their the property? Well, the purpose of the mandatory... So well, I, I just okay. please answer my question. Okay, so, so your question my was... My question is, is, was the reliability challenge saying what the MAC provided you wasn't reliable or was the question, this is not information, that, that it's not rent? Because that's a different... That's a different issue, I think. Well, you have to remember, the, I would say that it's the first, that the information the MAC provided isn't reliable. Because what the MAC provides is it's a line item and it says rent to MAC and so, it has one number in it. Which is the information. Uh, oh, so it, yeah. and that's the concession fee. Or yeah, it so it's, it doesn't say concession fee when the county gets it. When the county gets it, gets it, it says rent to MAC. It's not till you go to the lease and you read the lease and then it's called a concession fee. But when MAC reports it, it doesn't report it as anything other than rent. And what in the statute uh, says that 
the purpose of the statute is to provide reliable information as opposed to just providing the information. Where in the statute does it indicate that the reason that they want this information produced is is so that you you know so that they can't challenge reliability? I, I don't see that in the language of the statute. You're right. It's not in the statute. It doesn't explicitly say that in the statute. But you, the purpose of if you go to what the purpose of this information is, it's per, the purpose is to be used in evaluation of property. And one of the the ways that property gets valued is through an income approach, which is why the income to the subject property is so and, relevant. And I I get that, but the but there's a broad discovery rule, which includes stuff that may or may not be relevant. That's part of the deal with that discovery rule. And then there's an argument afterwards that, well, in this case, we really shouldn't we really shouldn't consider that. So doesn't that cut against your argument? I don't think so, because there wouldn't have been any way for the county to know that we should have done discovery on this particular matter. We thought we knew what the rents were because we'd received them from MAC. We thought we had what we needed to do a evaluation of the property, and it's not until later that we find out that actually the issue is that we don't have, or that the petitioners are arguing that we don't have correct information and that we can't use it. Well, and, and this is where I want to come back to this reliability. It, they're not saying you don't have correct information about what the concession fee was, right? I guess what you're saying is, but they didn't call it a concession fee, so you didn't know it was a concession fee, but you had the information. The question is, how does this fit into the substantive evaluation issue we haven't gotten to yet? I, I think you're I think you're right, and I think you're on the right track that that does go to the merits of of what the of, of what the actual valuation of the property would be, and I would say that the that knowing what this issue is, so I mean, essentially the real issue in this case, it's not even really the value of the property so much as it's whether or not you should include the concession fee in an income approach to the property, and knowing that earlier in the proceeding would allow the county to better prepare and go to trial on that one particular discrete issue, issue which is primarily more of a legal issue than another type of issue. So I, I think, so I can't quite remember your question, but I think- No, I think you answered it, it actually. Oh. That, that, okay. Yeah, so I did, I had one more conceptual question yeah. then I'll stop. Um, and that is, in these cases from your perspective are what we, re, is what is really happening is you're taxing MAC, but making Avis pay, essentially. Like, when you, from your perspective, is, is the property tax gonna be imposed because you can't impose it on MAC, but you're really valuing the property as if MAC was paying the tax? Yes, the way that we, the per difference between personal property tax and real property tax is, is really only that the personal property tax is imposed on the individual business in this case because we, under, if it were a real property tax, you could only collect unpaid taxes from the property itself. Obviously, we can't sell the airport to pay any unpaid taxes, so we need to go after, so we need to pursue the business for any unpaid taxes. So that's really the only structural di difference under Minnesota law. And uh, Justice Tudor, this kind of gets to one of your questions that you asked to the taxpayer, which is this is very different than the law in California because under California law, they tax a possessory interest and they value it at the value of the possessory interest. Under Minnesota law, we tax both leasehold and mere use of property and we tax it at the fee simple value, which is different than what they're doing in California. I didn't quite understand. Um, you said um, if Avis had disclose the concession fee, you would somehow have known that it had an issue about that? I don't, I don't get how that happens from disclosure, because assume, I assume they would have the same argument on the merits that 
we don't have to pay taxes on this concession fee. Well, what happened, Your Honor, and I, I, I disagree because I think if they had framed this early in the proceeding that they would have still disclosed what the concession fee is, but would have disclosed that they didn't believe it was related to the subject property at issue. And that would have put us on notice that that's the actual issue in this proceeding, but that didn't happen. Instead, what we had was we had a disclosure from MAC we had a disclosure of what the rents were to the subject that included actually some of the concession fee, but not all of it, not this percentage concession fee. And then later we have this argument that, well, actually none of the concession fee is actually rent to the subject property. If the taxpayer is going to give us information and say, here's what the rents are, and then later on say, well, that's not actually what they are, it's, it's, that's not complying with the mandatory disclosure rule. We should be able to rely on that information without conducting additional discovery to determine Determine what the actual issues are in the proceeding. Council, um, the rule of law that your client wants, I assume, is that in subdivision 6A, petitioner means the taxpayer. That's correct. Um, would that include the uh, petitioner's agents? Like, could you have an accounting firm furnish the information or a law firm? Yeah, I, yes, I would, I would extend it to the agents and say, so long as it's some, the petitioner or somebody acting on behalf of the petitioner that's providing the information, that would be sufficient to comply with the mandatory disclosure rule. And the reason would be because if it's the petitioner or its agent, the county would have the argument always that this is the information you gave us and we're relying on it to value your property. And you can't then argue that we, we can't use the, your, the information you gave us to value the property. How about extending it just a little further and saying a reliable quasi-governmental agency that owns the underlying property, which seems to be what opposing counsel is Well, it, if we could rely on that information as accurate and use it in the valuation, I don't think the county would necessarily object to that rule, but that isn't the rule of law that's being posited here. The rule, the rule that they are positing is that the MAC can give us information and that the information can contain errors or what the petitioner characterizes as errors and the petitioner doesn't have any obligation to rectify those errors or even point them out. So you want a representation by the taxpayer or on behalf of the taxpayer by the taxpayer's agent that the information that's being furnished is true, accurate, and reliable? Yes, I would say reliable because there is some case law that says the petitioner has to provide information even if the it doesn't believe the information is totally accurate but it has to be accurate within the best of what the petitioner's knowledge would be that can't the petitioner can't provide misleading information or information that otherwise it's going to argue is is wrong and certainly if the petitioner has better information that it gets after the deadline and provides that the county would obviously use that too what the county wants is is a rule that allows it to quickly and easily dispose of the tax petitions that are filed before it using this information, or if that's not the case, that it can use this information as part of its appraisal that it presents at a tax court trial. Well, in summary, the only issue before you today is whether the tax petitioner provided information sufficient to comply with the mandatory disclosure rule because that information wasn't provided, you should affirm the dismissal of the tax court, and you should also affirm the tax court's holding that is the petitioner's obligation to provide this information, and therefore the tax court properly dismiss the tax petition and affirm. Does anyone have any more questions? I have about three minutes. I do, okay. actually. Um, on, the, on the actual um, record here, 
Avis says that there is enough in this record, given the concession that was made before the tax court, that um, that shows that the county had the 2016 uh, information. What do you, what do you say to that? I think the record's a little thin on whether or not the county did have that information or when it received it, but I can represent to you now that we did have it before the August 1st deadline. You're willing to... That's binding. I mean, you're willing to make that I'm, representation. I'm willing to make that representation, and I think that the... And you I would think have, it's not relevant, but you're making it. Yes, and I, I would, and you know, I, I was not aware until I went back through the record that that was not particularly clear in the tax court record, and so, but I, it was not my intent to to make that an un, that point unclear. Would you agree that this issue of um, whether it has to be the petitioner that discloses the information is an issue of first impression for this court as a broad matter? No, I think this court has said in numerous cases that it's the petitioner's obligation to provide to provide all of the information in its possession, and that's the standard that this court has set forth. What that, cases are that? What? Um, I think 78th Street Owner Co., and there's another one oh, that escapes me right now, um, where the, the essentially the, the rule of law is, and I think Walmart's one of the more recent ones, where the tax petitioner has to provide all the information regardless of its own determination. But was the, was the issue presented in any of those cases? The issue of? The issue that's being argued here. Well, I think what makes this case different is in, I think in the 78th Street Owner, Owner Co. case, that was the percentage rent case. In that case, they found out later whether or not the percentage rent clause was triggered, but I think it was after the deadline. I think it would be an issue of first impression that this is one where we had the information before the August 1 deadline. But the question of what the statute means, was that presented in the other cases that you rely on? I mean, have we interpreted the statute the way we're being asked to interpret it here? The issue of whether or not the, it's the petitioner's obligation, no, I don't believe so. So it is a question of first impression. Yes. It's only the tax court that has said like an agent, if, an, if my agent gives you the information, that's fine. We haven't done that. You haven't, you haven't done that. There isn't a case from the tax court where the tax court said the agent was fine, and I think the county doesn't dispute that an agent could provide the information. I think we often get information from agents. Thank you, counsel. All right, thank you. Mr. Van Cleve, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal. I'd like to address this issue of the uh, reliability of the information and the argument that council made concerning um, our taking the position that the information provided by the MAC was incorrect. Justice Thiessen, I think that your understanding is correct. We were not arguing that the information was incorrect. The concession fee amounts paid. There's been no dispute about those numbers. The issue is the legal issue of what the significance of the concession fee payments are and what do they represent. Were they identified as concession fees by MAC in the documents that were given to the county? 
I believe they called them percentage rents, but I think we have to look at the agreement to understand what the substance is. And whoever was providing the information, simply because they characterized it as rent, I don't think that's dispositive of the issue of whether or not it is legitimate to attribute that to the value of the real property. But if we adopt your rule of law, then would you agree that um, you would be stuck with whatever information was given by the, for example, by in here by Mac, so that you would that's that's it. So if you're saying that the county can rely on that information, it's okay for Mac to give that information. And it doesn't require the car rental companies as petitioners to give that information. Would you then be um, have to be be stuck with the information then that was provided by Mac? I mean, you can argue the characterization of it, but the actual information. Well, uh, we would we would be stuck with the fact that there was information that the, that we thought was incorrect, and and again, that would be to our detriment and to our peril. Um, but I do think that if we have a rule which is used here as I do think that what we're talking about here is elevating form over substance where we have no dispute that the information was provided and simply it's the source of the information that is at issue. And because the source of the information, which a statute doesn't specify, was not the petitioner, then the petitioner loses substantive appeal rights. And I think that that is just a wrong interpretation of the statute. I want to talk Council, about this issue. Following though. up on Justice McKay's question, isn't your client trying to have it both ways? On six, on subdivision six A, the disclosure, it's saying the disclosure was provided, but then it's saying the disclosure was inadequate or inaccurate because the max rent roll wasn't correct. So how how can you have it both ways and win both on the con concession versus rent issue? and on the disclosure issue. Your Honor, I don't think that we are bound by anybody's characterization of what those concession fee payments are. The concession agreement tells us what those concession fee payments are for. Let, let's say your client had disclosed the concession fee and characterized it as rent. Would your client then be bound? Characterizing it as rent? Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> I would... I would not allow that to happen, but if they did it, then I guess we're going to have to have a lot of explaining to do in front of the tax court. If, well, isn't if that what Subdivision 6A is about, having a, a taxpayer do some explaining on what the basis for the, um, for the income producing property is? No, it's about producing information. Not, There's a list of information that has to be produced, and it was produced in this case. Not making a representation? I'm sorry, what was the... Doesn't 6A contemplate the taxpayer makes a representation about, for example, the rent roll? I think it's implicit that if they are providing information, they are representing to the taxing authority, this is our rent roll, these are our rents, this is the square footage, all of those matters. But we're not talking about that here. The numbers are not in dispute. It's the characterization of the payments that's in dispute. Was the max production of information to the county a representation on behalf of your client? It was not a representation on behalf of our client. It was information that was provided to the assessor at the assessor's specific instance and request. If, if you would have provided the concession fee, your client would have provided the concession fee just as additional information because it's broad disclosure, you would have still had the right to challenge whether the concession fee should be considered, right? Absolutely. And I think that there's one and important counsel, point is, that hasn't been talked about this counsel, morning. Counsel, isn't that precisely, though, what the county was wanting, is that if, if, if 
because again, you can't have it both ways. You would have provided that information and said, this is the concession fee. It's not rent, it's a concession fee. Right. And you could have had that discussion. I think that's the county's point is why, and, and why they want that information and want us to read the statute such that it's information that must come from your clients is so that then they could have, you could have that discussion about what the proper characterization is. Your interpretation seems to defeat the purpose of the statute, which is to have, have petitioners provide accurate information and if necessary, have a trial about the characterization of that information. I have a problem with the county's argument before this court because, as I'd mentioned before, the county considers its original valuations based on the MAC information to have been sufficiently reliable that they were choosing to go to trial based on those valuations. They didn't want a do-over. In fact, they made a motion in front of the tax court to be excused from preparing a separate appraisal to go to trial. They were, they were dug in on those valuations that they made based on the information from the MAC. So for them to say now that they had a problem and there was something unreliable about that information, I think is a bit disingenuous. I also want to mention that the reason the tax court found that information to be rent or concluded it was rent was based upon the exempt property statute, the 27201 statute, which, which talks about exempt property being taxable if, if it's used by a for-profit entity. But the problem is that the court misapplied the statute because it talks about property that is leased, loaned, or otherwise made available and used. The tax court here concluded that notwithstanding the fact there are explicit leases by all of these car rental companies, it also said, well, you can be taxed not only on the lease, but you can be taxed on the use of the property. The disjunctive is, is, permeates the statute. Every provision, subdivision A, subdivision C, subdivision D, that talks about this property that's not exempt if a for-profit entity or individual is using it, talks about the property being leased, loaned, or otherwise made available. And so I don't think that you can take a relationship that's based upon specific leases and identifying specific lease premises and say, well, there's use two, and so we're going to tax that based on the concession fee. That Council, is not... Let, let's talk a little bit about the status of the case law. I don't see any case from this court that characterizes a concession fee as falling under this mandatory disclosure statute. Um, and the argument from the county here is um, focusing on the income-producing language uh, that appears in some of these cases, the Northwest Airlines case and a couple of others. Um, how do you respond to that? Once again, the concession fee, as the agreement expressly states, is for access to the airport market and the privilege of, of operating these car rental businesses somehow in the different airport. Than, that, then that is somehow different than what was occurring in those other cases? In those, it, it absolutely is. We're talking about percentage rent cases in those other cases where there's a lease that talks about additional rent in the form of percentage rent. We have no language in any of these agreements that classifies those concession fees as additional rent. Um, 
Also, this, the, the issue with the California case, I wanted to, I wanted to go back to this because I know this is something that was concerning to Justice Chudich. The, uh, the tax court said, well, California is a possessory interest state. Well, what does that mean? Um, if we look at the uh, California regulations, they say that you tax the possessory interest at the uh, fair market value of this fee simple absolute interest. Now, I, I happen to believe that I don't think it matters how you, um, how you, how you tax that property. The issue is uh, the, the distinction between what that concessionaire actually holds, possesses, and use, uses versus these further rights that are granted by the concession. And, and the L.A. County case recognizes that. It also recognizes that you can have a situation where you have just a concession agreement, but you might be attributed use that's taxable. And that's, that's actually that Mintaho case that was cited by both parties here, where there was no lease, there was a concession agreement. The tax court said, well, it's essentially a lease because they have the right to use it. Well, we also have to be mindful of the fact that this is a disjunctive statute, and if it says lease loaned or otherwise made available and used, and we've got express leases here, you can't pile on and say, well, they use the property too, so we're gonna call the concession fee, we're gonna call it rent for an amorphous use of some unspecified other part, or maybe the entire airport. That's the problem with the concession fee. And I'm sorry, I see my time is up. We would respectfully request reversal of this ruling um, and a remand to the tax court with direction that the concession fee cannot be used as rent or used to value the real property interests of these leases. Thank you, Thank counsel. You. Thanks to both counsel for the help you provided to the court in this case. This matter is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course. We're in recess.